everyone. Welcome to Hardcore Football, an intense look at the world's game from two passionate Americans. I'm your host, Phil Bakke, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, we're we're back after a, an extended layoff. Yeah, man. Episode 49. Um, when did we last record? I guess the end of last season, right? May or something? Yeah. Yeah, I Jeez. guess we took the whole summer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there was a good reason for that because there's been some life updates definitely in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in terms of the, like, where... Why hasn't Hardcore Football been recorded? Uh, it is pretty much down to the, the birth of my daughter. Um, so she was Yay. born in June. Um, so she's, yeah, just over three months old now. And we've, I think, like, navigated uh, some of the early... <laughs> the early stages but it was hectic there for a while um and uh but everyone's everyone's doing well and uh yeah now life normalizing just a little bit after those those first three months um and she's (laughs) becoming slightly more manageable um so yeah it opens up opens up the time a couple more weeknights um to to get on the mic and and get back to recording this podcast, which I have missed desperately. But Mika, what have you been up to in the in the meantime? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, the life updates have not been nearly as as uh, seismic as yours. Um, but so glad that uh, baby Corinne arrived and arrived safely. And it, I know it didn't feel like this for you, but it felt fast for me that you're like getting kind of back to having some <laughs> semblance of free time. But I obviously appreciate it because i've missed doing hardcore football it's always a good time to chat with you about whatever we want no one can tell us any different exactly <laughs> but, and it's uh, no i mean it is open I- to uh i mean well and it's funny too because i think we'll get onto it we're we're gonna kind of do a little tour of the of the top five leagues but um i think it'll be interesting when we get around to the premier league where the fortunes of our respective teams are uh, in in quite different places than we left them. Um, but uh, I guess I, in- I gotta say, like one thing too about the the way we chose to uh, come back is we're coming back on the eve of uh, an international break, so our takes won't be like old by tomorrow morning. Right, right. Hopefully, anyway. So. You guys can let let this one sink in for the next week or two, right? So, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully these don't age poorly. I mean, who knows? Given the track record of this podcast, like every team we talk about is about to sack their manager. So that's um. Oh God, truly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess speaking of uh well not sackings necessarily because we you know the the tuchel news is is a little bit is a little bit stale but graham potter moves to chelsea that was the the big big news of the last you know fortnight i guess um and recently brighton have a replacement um and there were a couple of names floating out there, but it turns out uh, they only had one guy on the radar. Um, so who have Brighton brought in to replace Graham Potter? Yeah, Brighton and Hove Albion have announced that Roberto De Zerbi will be Graham Potter's uh, successor. 
Um, and this is a really interesting one. I don't, I don't know if anyone saw it coming other than those who have been kind of clued into Brighton's process up until this point. Um, cause, uh, by all accounts, they've been searching for a while. I mean, Brighton's a very well-run club. Tony Bloom is very, uh, in touch with what's going on, uh, in the sporting department of his club. And they've been looking for someone for a while cause they always knew Graham Potter would move on. Um, so it's good that they were prepared for that and, apparently Roberto Zerbi is the one and they have said you know he fits the culture and I can certainly see that um he's also kind of an attacking manager you know wants to play an attractive style of football um and actually like the more that I think about this appointment the more that it reminds me of Grand Potter a little bit if you think about Zerbi's trajectory he kind of has you know I mean he's a manager from a huge footballing nation obviously he's from Italy um, but he's gone to coach in like relatively far flung places or clubs, if you will. I mean, he had a, a spell at at Foggia, um, Darfo Boario, like in the lower leagues of Italy. Uh, Palermo Benevento did really well at Sassuolo. I think that's really where he really kind of made a name for himself. And then he went to Shakhtar Donetsk, which, of course, you know, so much has changed with Shakhtar's fortunes uh, recently just because of what's going on with the war in Ukraine. Um, and I thought he handled that quite well, just publicly facing wise. Like uh, he spoke very well about the situation at the time. Uh, so it reminded me of Graham Potter, like going to like kind of these less obvious places, like especially like somewhere kind of like obscure, not obscure. Shakhtar is a huge club, but just, you know, obscure as far as like the continent is concerned, same way Grand Potter went to Ostersons. Um, and, and now he's at Brighton. And I think that this is a really good appointment uh, on paper. Uh, he's he's young, too, 43 years old. Um, and, yeah, I really like this. Uh, and he apparently is bringing on some very good staff with him. Um, and, yeah, Italian managers have fared decently in, in, in uh, the Premier League. So... Um, I think Brighton fans should be hopeful about this one. And Tony Bloom and co have not given them any reason to doubt up until now. Like I said, Brighton are very well run. So uh, I like it. Do you do you feel that way? Or are you kind of like, I don't know what to think? Um, no, what do you make I, of it? no, I like it. I think uh, I think the thing that excites me about it is one, I've always liked um, and I think we've we've spoken about Sassuolo. Like I have a bit of a soft spot for them to begin with, um, right? But they strike me as I mean, as a Brighton sort of analog. Yeah, yeah. In mm-hmm. England, just because they aren't a traditional like huge huge powerhouse, they don't spend a ton of money, um, and him finishing an eighth like back-to-back seasons with Sassuolo was seen as a huge achievement um, in Serie A. And obviously they recruited really well, uh, like the players that, you know, the names that have come through Sassuolo over the last, you know, three or four years, uh, like under his his tenure. Um, yeah. Some of the biggest, you know, like, players that are now applying their trade, you know, for the, you know, for the Azzurri, like, uh, for the national team, which again, traditionally not, not Sassuolo, you know, uh, they're not typically churning out, uh, national team product products. So, um, yeah, the likes of Berardi, Skamaka, um, I, I think, 
Brighton fans can look forward to the style of football continuing to be quite attractive. Like, uh, does going to continue to try to play a very free flowing style? I think the one criticism that has been like levered against him previously is that his Sassuolo teams didn't defend. Um, and, and that's, that's where so watchable, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can balance that out. Um, but, but Brighton, like you said, super well-run club. And if he can bring the same sort of recruitment and the same sort of, uh, like training, all that stuff, the, the way that he brought players through, um, yeah, I think, I think Brighton fans are in for a treat, um, and and a familiar sort of approach to the game, um, which I think was really important to Brighton's hierarchy when they when they identified Deserby as as that guy. Yeah, and and you know, there's I've seen some rumors that Tony Bloom. I mean, we know he was his number one choice, but he also kind of had to act quickly because apparently Juventus were looking at Roberto Deserby to to replace the struggling Max Allegri that I'm sure we'll get onto that. So, I mean, also kind of a coup if you think about it that way, Brighton yeah. taking, taking a manager from a, you know, the old lady who typically could have their pick. So. And the, the carousel goes round and round because if it's Potter to Chelsea, you know, deserve to, to Brighton and then, <laughs> out from underneath Juve's nose, then Tommy Tuchel rolls into town. Um, <laughs> it could be, uh, yeah, we could have a full-blown, a full-blown uh, circular whatever trade if if the Deserby to, to Juve rumors were, were true. But um, yeah. we have, uh, obviously, we well, we wait to see uh, how Deserby gets started uh, at Brighton. Not the kindest opening to life at Brighton. Um, he goes to Anfield for his first match as uh, Brighton manager after the international break. Then Tottenham comes to the the Amex. Then a little bit of a break with Brentford and Nottingham Forest back-to-back. But then City away and Chelsea at home against Potter on his return to the, to the Amex uh, first match back since joining Chelsea. So a lot of one quality teams in that opening, like six matches. Um, and you know, Brentford and Nottingham forest are no soft touch either. Like both teams have played decently well to start life in the premier league. So anyways, it'll be, uh, it'll be a hell of a, a hell of a run in these first six games to see how Deserby copes with coming to England. And I, for one hope he suffers on his debut, but, um, (laughs) nothing personal (laughs) yeah no that i mean that first that first uh fixture against liverpool away that's definitely a baptism by fire as they say um i don't expect them to get anything out of that but you know stranger things have happened the tottenham fixture though the next one that is really interesting to me because two Italian coaches, two very different philosophies, however, yeah. I would argue. Uh, and so I think that's really interesting, that one. Um, but like you said, like Nottingham Forest, while they are struggling, that could be a place to get some points at home. Uh, Brentford as well, who are kind of, you know, licking their wounds off the back of being dismantled by Arsenal. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely opportunities here. But I just, 
I'm trying to figure out who has been called up for Brighton because that's the other thing about this international break that there are there might not be a lot of time for him to to get with his players because they might be called up. I mean, I know Alexis McAllister is starting to become a fixture in the Argentina squad. Um, and yeah, he's the first one I, I came to mind, but mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there's other internationals in that squad. Um, Robert Sanchez, maybe for Spain. I don't know. I haven't seen the Spain uh, call-ups, but yeah. Um, and then he's also got some injuries too. So just something to, to keep an eye on um but but yeah no it's it's fascinating i think i think brighton will be absolutely fine yeah yeah and in the meantime graham potter has made his debut for chelsea given all of the premier league uh cancellations and everything most most of the premier league clubs who did play over the last two weeks were in europe uh with a handful of premier league games getting played but Graham Potter makes his debut in the Champions League, uh, a 1-1 draw in the group stage against RB Salzburg at Stamford Bridge, which not a great result, has to be said. Um, but what did you make of Potter's first game in charge as uh, you know, Raheem Sterling has the, the honor of scoring the first goal of the Potter era playing left wing back? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a lot of debate about this, whether Sterling was playing as a wingback or if it was Cucurella. I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't really tell you. But, um, I mean, it's really, like, familiar almost, this performance, in that they peppered the Salzburg goal with shots. Um, They only really had the one big chance. They scored it, but they should have had more out of this game. And he even was kind of familiar in his reaction post game is like it wasn't our day you know and it's like <laughs> well it's gotta be your day more often than not when you're the Chelsea manager right and and uh, to be fair to him I think per, I think you know having your debut in the Premier League or excuse me the Champions League is kind of a strange one because that's absolutely just kind of a toss-up almost especially the group stage um and yeah uh he's missing players too that are important like uh, Ingola Conte and Eduardo Mendy. So, um, yeah, not great at all. I think they definitely deserve more. I think they d- dominated for sure, plus 70% possession or something like that. But, um, yeah, just not the best, but not not a disaster either, I guess. Yeah, the... Uh... Yeah, I mean, kind of a middling start to life. It's always fascinating to me what what that first lineup looks like for a new, a new manager. And obviously he's gone with a pretty, a pretty familiar one, especially like you look across midfield and you know, the likes of Mount Jorginho Kovacic, like it's not, he's not turning up any trees in that way. Um, But I did find it interesting that Pierre Emerick Aubameyang started this one only Mm. because so much was made of the fact that, that like, Oh, this is a Tuchel signing. Um, But at the end of the day, like Aubameyang is kind of their only <laughs> striker. So they don't really have, I feel like they don't have many options and going. They have, uh, they have Broja who came on, but I mean, he's yeah. not really been super good. Yeah. It's, it's a strange, it, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Like looking across Chelsea's bench is really, it's, there's a lot of decisions for Potter to make pretty early on. Um, I also found it interesting that like he 
opts to go for, uh, you know, ostensibly playing like four wingbacks or fullbacks like in the same lineup because Reese James and Cesar Espiliqueta start on the same side and then Kukurea and Sterling are on that side. Like if, you know, if Sterling's a winger or a wingback, however you want to like classify it. But, um, you know, Koulibaly, Wesley Fofana, who like they've just purchased for a boatload of money, um, not in the side. Uh, Chalaba doesn't play. Like, there's just a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of interesting decisions. Um, and obviously, first game, you can take it with a grain of salt. It's a snapshot in time, but um, it'll just be really interesting to see who moves into and out of favor with, with Potter over the coming, you know, month or so. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he he's familiar with Cucurella, who's had a really good start to Chelsea. So I'm interested to see kind of how that continues to develop, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be it'll be an interesting one. I just think this is, is such a huge risk. I mean, I feel like people are treating this like it's very obvious. And I think in some ways it is because he is like the hot commodity or was. Uh, as far as English managers go and managers in general and in Europe. But I mean, I hate to say this, but he's not won anything. Right. And this is a Chelsea side that uh, that's all they do. I mean, whether they play badly or poorly or the style is terrible, what it doesn't matter. They win trophies, period. Yeah. That's what Chelsea football club is about. And so um, I do think that's a big risk in a lot of ways, but you know, we know Todd Bowley is, I mean, he's a baseball man and baseball men are, very analytics driven and Graham Potter is like an analytics wet dream. So yeah. I guess it makes sense in, in that, in that regard. But the, the Tuchel sacking is still like, I, I'm still like kind of processing that one. Cause he's a world-class manager, but you know, they've taken a risk and he's got his man now. So yeah. um, let's see, let's see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I wish him the best, but not, not too good. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him to do too well. Yeah. I, <laughs> It'll be interesting. Like you said, I don't think it's as obvious as people pointed out. And I mean, you don't have to go back that far to there was a period of time last season where he was under pressure at Brighton. Um, Like they had yeah. a stretch of games where they were like where Brighton fans were starting to question like, hey, you can only win the XG battle so many times before you need to win the actual game. Like that's... <laughs> And he and he uh, clapped back at that. If I don't, yeah. if I'm not mis mistaken. He said, "You know, we need to remember where we came from. We're freaking eighth, like chill right. out type thing." And that's another thing. Like if his if his people like him, Grand yeah. Potter's very like affable and things like that. But that little prickliness, like if it comes through with Chelsea fans, uh, if ever, like I I'm really curious to see how that goes down. Yeah. Because it's a, it's inevitable, I think, at some point uh, with every Chelsea manager. There's always going to be questions. But, um, yeah, no, good point. Well, let's let's keep things in England, and we, we'll take our stroll around the top five leagues and kind of discuss whatever whatever we want. But we'll start with, basically, for each of the, the top five leagues, we'll start with who's top at the first international break. And this is fitting for this podcast, given the fact that, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Liverpool near the top of the Premier League. 
we now get to talk about the fact that Arsenal Football Club, <laughs> top of the Premier League at the first inter- international break, um, and clear at the top. Not a not a goal difference, anything like that, but clear at the top. So, Mika, I'll let you I'll let you talk on Arsenal start, and we'll we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, the, the start has been magnificent for the most part. Um, it's nice to to finish strongly before you know a fortnight where all the players go away for international duty and, and what have you. So instead of you know having to kind of keep thinking about a loss, if you will, over the next two weeks, that's like some clubs are doing. So yeah, it was great that we were able to. I mean, I said it earlier, dismantle Brentford because that's what it was. They were just not at brentford community stadium with us it felt like (laughs) and it was so weirdly routine like the way the the game went um but overall yeah the start has been lovely i think the um the plan if you will that Mikel arteta and the club have set in place several seasons ago is starting to kind of get to not quite like the apex but like it's getting there to where you know the next step obviously is to be in the champions league again um, and and people are talking about like Arsenal being title contenders. I don't think so necessarily. Um, I, I I think that that's a bit much uh, to say right now because to be fair, the the uh, opening fixtures I think have been relatively kind. And the one major test that we did have was against Manchester United at Old Trafford, and we failed that test. So um, I do keep that in mind and try to keep a level head about it, but. Other than that, I mean, the new players are all slotting in very nicely. I think Zinchenko is a great signing. I think Gabriel Jesus has been transformative for the front line. Um, I mean, I knew he was good, but I didn't think he would hit the ground running quite in the way that he did. Um, and so that's been great. Uh, Fabio Vieira got off the mark yesterday with a cracking goal against Brentford. Um, and and William Saliba, like, literally hashtag like a new signing <laughs> like the guy's been on loan ever since we signed him and he, he's come in and i'm not even trying to be funny like i can't remember the last time a defender as young as him has looked so solid in the premier league um and yes i include like wesley fofana in that sure <laughs> in that calculation who i think is excellent as well and both of them of course came from san etienne so something <laughs> in the water over there clearly but yeah um i think it's really hard right now to complain if you're a gooner yeah, um, we're in for a. If France thought they were gonna be short of center backs at any point, the idea of a Saliba Kanate partnership for France for the next, no, however long, ridiculous. ten years. Yeah, um, yeah I the mean, they uh, turned Laporte Spanish, so like, <laughs> the depth is insane. They had him. <laughs> They had him fleeing the country. Um, no, I, uh, I, yeah, I think all your points on Arsenal, I think, are are valid, and and it, it is, you know, you view these. I think there's really two things at play because, like, they have looked really good in these games mm-hmm. again, and I don't think I don't think it's worth writing off like good performances because they come against like ostensibly weaker teams. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a saying that used to go around like Liverpool Twitter or or maybe football Twitter at, in general, but like beat the dross, win the league is like, that's a yeah. saying of like, if you don't slip up in those 
random sort of like because that's if you look back across any close title race like there's always that draw or that loss where you're like ah you just that should have never happened um and so I don't think I don't think it's worth sneezing at like Arsenal taking care of business against these like weaker opponents they've they've Mm. done well I do think the note of caution is like is good because yeah a team that came and maybe, you know, maybe it's worth even touching on the fact that United <laughs> United look under Eric Ten Hag to be a team that is going to show up with a game plan for their opposition, um, particularly against the big boys. So obviously like Liverpool and Arsenal in quick succession looked they struggled more like at Old Trafford than than uh, than in recent years, I guess. And um, and United are coming with a plan. They've got they've got quality players, and they executed that plan against Arsenal. Even though I do think there was probably opportunity for Arsenal to like put that game away. Yeah, I think it was closer than the scoreline suggests. I think. I wouldn't say it's kind to United because they were clinical, but um, I mean, we should have had at least one or two more goals and maybe it could have been three all or something, but yeah. Yeah. Just like ruthless. Flight. Well, and that, and that is the thing. Like it is the one, the one blight and the fact that you've, you know, started with six wins and just the one loss. Although yeah, like some of the opposition is weaker on paper that doesn't you know there's there's plenty of teams that go all season and don't you know and don't get good results against those weaker teams I think there were a couple of there were a couple of games for Arsenal I think Fulham and Aston Villa back-to-back where I was kind of like like are Mm. we like are we seeing you know and and they saw it out which I think is the important thing because in recent years and I think this was an evolution that you know over a few years ago, like Liverpool went through too, where you just sit down and look at a game like Arsenal Fulham or Arsenal Villa. And you're like, this is a game that we draw last year or a game that we lose maybe mm-hmm. even. Um, so I think the progression is clear. Like even if the teams that they've played so far, like maybe it isn't like the sternest test week after week, they have, yeah, they've seen them out, and I think that's a clear evolution for Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, taking things to Mercy sides, you get a chance to talk about your boys. At Eval27, Eric says, can Liverpool turn things around? What do you see as the biggest issues they need to address in order to do so? Yeah. So, precarious start for Liverpool, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, for their standards. Um, yeah. I think, where are they, eighth right now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, eighth after Chelsea. six games played. Yeah. yeah, they've got the they had the one canceled, so they've got that game yeah. in hand, I suppose. It's been tough. Like, what do you what do you make of it? What what needs to happen to turn it around? Like Eric's asking. Yeah, I mean, gosh, we could probably spend. I could talk for a whole episode about <laughs> like what's <laughs> gone wrong. I but I do think if if I boil it down, I think it is they were planning on making this tactical evolution because it's like, okay, they went out and they spent big money on Darwin, which is the signal of, okay, we are making a change because we just went out and bought basically, you know, 
one of the one of the best number nines available like on the market. We mm. went out and basically paid as much as was needed to get him. Um, and we wouldn't have done that without thinking, okay, well, tactically, this is going to look a lot different than it has over the last five years with, you know, Firmino, Mane, and Salah. So that's that's number one is like this tactical evolution was clearly set in motion. And the timing of the timing of injuries and Darwin's suspension work together to say like, okay, well now we can't implement if this is what we've been working on in preseason is this tactical evolution to this new system with a true number nine. And we're going to play like Salah and Diaz are going to play to feed Darwin as the main shot creator. Um, that is a, a big change from Firmino being the main, the, well, the midfield and Firmino feeding Mane and Salah as the main shot creators and Salah in particular as like the shot volume guy. Like he was on the end of everything for the last five years. Now we change that to Salah is now like a creator alongside Diaz who are really trying to create for Nunez who is then suspended for three matches because he had butts. He had butts Jorgensen in the palace game. And so like, so anyways, the long story short is like we set, I think Liverpool set this tactical innovation, like in motion. And then the key pieces to actually implement the system that they were trying to play weren't there. So then they're trying to play this new system with the, all the wrong old pieces. Cause it's like, we've got Firmino back in there. Like you're not going to play the same way with Firmino in the nine as you do with Nunez. It, I mean, it's two completely different players. Um, and if Nunez isn't in there, then Salah needs to be the shot volume guy. But if he's out wide trying to create for everybody, like it's like, mm -hmm. who's shooting like that's it. <laughs> like, and then mm -hmm. couple all of that with like some injuries in midfield. Tiago, I think it, in particular was like not, which basing any sort of like thing around Tiago's availability is just dumb. Like his, his track record doesn't say like, He's not going to play 38 games like he's just not he's not that guy. Um, and then I think lastly, um, and uh, this has been like maybe the biggest standout thing is Van Dyke has uh, just not got off to the greatest start. Granted, he's had like a couple of changes in partners, I think. um and I think his regression in terms of his form at the beginning of the season has made other areas of the defense exposed more than in recent years. Because I think in particular, Alexander Arnold has looked like even more of a vulnerability, especially like the Napoli game, um, the Fulham game, like come to mind uh, as like particular examples. Oh, United as well. Um mm where he's just getting targeted more and because Van Dyke isn't like able to cover in quite the same way that he was, I think it's just all kind of piled up to, um, to being, yeah, more, um, just more vulnerable 
than they have been. And um, all that being said, I think it's like, it is a transitionary period into this new tactical setup. Um, and there are s- still very good players like executing this plan. It's just a matter of like, can we figure out what it's actually supposed to look like? Because I think in a lot of these games, you're left thinking like, I'm not really sure what's supposed to be happening. <laughs> like that, the Napoli game in particular, it was just like, <laughs> who's supposed to be like, scoring the goals and who's supposed to be stopping the goals. Cause like, we're not really doing a good job of either. And um, yeah, I, the IX game, I think did give a glimpse at, okay, we are starting to figure this out and the pressure is back. The running's back. I think getting Diogo Jota has been back has been uh, helpful as well in terms of adding some of the, I guess like a little more dynamic feel to the front three as well. So anyways, long story short, there's a lot of like little tactical things I think to iron out that add up to Liverpool looking a lot rougher than they have in recent years. All, all fair, I think. And I mean, I think there are a lot of simple explanations too. Um, this injury list is out is like ridiculous. Nabi Keita, Jordan Henderson, Ibrahim Konate, Curtis Jones, Quinvin Kelleher, Calvin Ramsey, Andrew Robertson, Alex Oxley, Chamberlain. Uh, that's that's hard for anyone to stomach, right? Um, and I think that's always been the um, difference, if you will, between Liverpool and City is depth. Um, with all due respect to to the Reds, um, and so when you have this much quality out, I mean you're going to play Milner in midfield and it's going to become an issue. Yeah. I think Jordan Henderson as well is, is extremely missed. Um, you, you spoke about Alexander Arnold looking more exposed than usual. And I think because Jordan Henderson's not on the pitch to occupy that space when he bombs on as he, yep. he's instructed to do as is his role. He's a creative force in this Liverpool side. Um, one thing I won't, excuse though about alexander arnold is his defending on like set pieces sometimes he just doesn't move and when people criticize that i'm like yeah well fair enough like you're not actually making a movement towards the ball that's quite different than having the ball clipped over you when you've gone to attack like that i can understand because that's part of the the tactics but i mean um defensively too i think van dyke like i i have also gather that that he's just a little bit off um off his usual pace and again i i don't think that there is a i don't think you can look at van dyke's form and not look at the midfield in front of him um because that midfield is like a pressing unit typically sans maybe tiago when he's available um so i don't think that you can discount how much that affects the back line um and the pressure that that van dyke and co are under um when the midfield is perhaps not what would be starting if Jurgen Klopp had his say and, you know, his pick of, of the full assortment of Liverpool players. So, I mean, all of those things, I think, added up to it. And then the other thing that I want to point out is you played every single game you could last season. I think there's going to naturally be a hangover from that. Yeah. Um, making it to the final of every competition, taking City to the brink in the Premier League, you know, it that's that's insane. You played every game you could. Um, and so, yeah, these are human beings, like until Todd Bowley, you know, turns football into like Android, an Android driven <laughs> game for money making. I don't know. Um, until then, 
these are human beings playing the game uh and uh they're really tired yeah like period you know so i think that's what it is uh i don't necessarily buy that jurgen klopp's message is getting old um as it did at dortmund maybe um and if even if it was i think he's earned the right to maybe rebuild this squad if they so choose to do um and then lastly what i'd say about darwin nunez is i think that he will be fantastic but i do think he needs to like not be a nutter because that's just making him a target in this league um and it's weird because he played in Portugal where that's like the name of the game is like yeah. shithousery. And they so invented get... shithousery. Pepe, <laughs> Pepe is from there. Like that's, <laughs> let's be real. Genuinely. So like to see him kind of react the way he did to Joachim Anderson was kind of bizarre to me, but you know, maybe it's the pressure of leading the line for Liverpool football club. You're the, the big, big signing. Um, and I'm sure Julian Ward was like, absolutely sick when he saw that you know his yeah. first real big signing i think if i'm not mistaken so um no i think he'll be fine but he just has to be smarter about that and um yeah he's he's a real presence there and i like that it just generally speaking it seems like like the big striker is coming back into vogue so that's very interesting um and it'll be really fascinating to see how liverpool do down the stretch because i i don't discount them for fighting for the title just yet i think it's been a, an odd season for sure and uh, so far but this is still a supremely talented side and when they get healthy i mean i i don't again i'm not gonna tr- i'm not memeing liverpool that's just <laughs> asking for trouble so we'll see and uh importantly salah salah and diaz uh colombia and egypt both missed out on the world cup so um that's a uh, mid-season break that both mm. those players are gonna get which is um gonna come in handy yeah i think um if i'm not mistaken i don't think tiago was called for spain this most recent uh yeah round so perhaps he gets some rest too i don't know yeah i think he andy robertson also pulled out with like an injury concern and i think klopp is basically like telling everybody like you're hurt (laughs) 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 you can't go you are hurt Mm. um Speaking of big strikers, I think we'd be remiss without mentioning uh, the big striker down down the road from Liverpool, uh, who is just a cheat code. Erling Holland uh, for Manchester City, uh, just absolutely tearing it up in in the opening, uh, you know, seven games uh, that he's played in the Premier League, and I guess it's working about as well as everybody assumed it would. Oh, he is uh, a must captain every week on Fantasy Premier League. Let me just say, <laughs> he's my captain every week, and he will score every week. He's got eleven goals already. Um, he's also like close to smashing a couple records in the Champions League too. And let's be honest, that's what he was bought for. Um, yeah, he's been fantastic. I don't know what else to say about him. He's he's yeah. just excellent. I think the only thing that would stop him is him. If his body breaks down on him in this season or, or what have you, I think that'd be the only way. But then you bring in Julian Alvarez, who's been fantastic as well and, and kind of like overlooked uh, yeah. when he's come on. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is in the form of his life also being like overlooked because of Erling Holland. So uh, this city side is just so, so stacked. Yeah. Uh, and I think they'll, 
I think they'll cancer to the title probably again this season just because they got what everyone said that they needed and they got the best version of what they needed, which was yeah. just a absolute penalty box monster. Um, and he's changed the way that they play and their, their dynamic and their threat. It's to a new level. Now it's just about being clutch in, in the Champions League because that's really what they want to win. Um, and yeah. I think that they're favorites. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're favorites to everything this year. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> I am chuckling only because Holland's 11 goals, you could probably you could probably add the total distance of each goal scored um, together and not get to 100 yards off 11 goals <laughs> um like Definitely. between three and six for basically all of them um <laughs> but yeah he's uh he, he's just been a machine and i mean as as everybody assumed he would be i think because it's like the joke for so long was you know city just score tappins um Mm-hmm. And he is the guy that you'd want on the end of any of those moves. Like whether it be, you know, header, right foot, left foot, doesn't matter. Like you, that's the guy you want. Um, yeah. And uh, for all the memes coming out of the community shield, obviously that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a long, long gone. Um, but, but yeah, I guess the rest of the, the rest of the premier league, it's, uh, it, it's still very much, I mean, very much early season in that you know Brighton's Brighton's fourth, Fulham is sixth. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of movement that's about to happen here. But um, mm. I guess maybe the story at the other end of the table is probably Leicester. Um, and I I guess we can probably boil it down to like how much longer does Brendan Rodgers get before it's game over? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he will always be the one that pays the price because you can't sack all the players. But at the same time, like, I don't understand what has happened this summer with their transfer window. They brought in Wood Feist from Stade de Clame, I think, um, to ostensibly replace Wesley Fofana, and he's he's been okay. Sure. Um, and then Alex Smithies from, from Cardiff City after – their starting goalkeeper of many, many years just fucked off to Nice. So I, I just don't understand what's going on there that uh, may or may not be within Brendan Rodgers' purview. I mean, I don't I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of Leicester City's transfer strategy, but it just is not nearly good enough for a, a club of their ambitions, you would think. Uh, I thought they were trying to take the next step in being, uh, you know, European mainstays, maybe not Champions League, but like Europa League, Europa Conference League. Uh, they're rooted to the bottom. They're really bad. <laughs> Kasper Schmeichel, Wesley Fofana have gone. Um, it's it's looking really, really bleak. Um, and, I mean, Jamie Vardy, like, I don't even know that he's scoring goals. Is he finally, like, breaking down, you know? Uh, James Madison seems to be the one, like, carrying the burden of goal contributions. Um, and there's still questions marks over players like him and and Yuri Tiedemans and and players like that maybe even Dewsbury Hall like Pats and Daka like these are all players that could definitely uh move on to to bigger and better if they wanted to they're very talented and that's why this is so confusing to me is this squad is not 
20th in the Premier League caliber. Um, and But it's just not been good enough. Uh, and they got absolutely taken apart by, was it Spurs? Uh, yeah. 6-2. Just yeah. n- disgraceful. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I guess the only... The only thing I could say is that it's been a tough start uh, in terms of the actual fixture list. I mean, they've had to play Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, and Manchester United and Spurs so far. So that's not like the best yeah. uh, opening set of fixtures. Um, and maybe this will allow them to, this international break will allow them to kind of take stock and see what's going on and come back with what I think is a must win against Nottingham Forest uh, when they come back on October 3rd because. They can beat Forest. Like, give me a break. <laughs> like, yeah. you can you can beat Forest, um, and, and then they've got Bournemouth after that as well. So, two manageable fixtures. Obviously, take it one at a time. But um, if this Leicester team go down, that would be quite shocking given the relative uh, resource that they have compared to other teams that are going to be in and around that conversation. Yeah. I, I do think they were a little unlucky this week, and I, I say a little like very deliberately because you can only put so much in this, but they were a little unlucky this week in that Antonio Conte picked that fixture to basically piss off Hyung Min Son back into form. <laughs> and he came on yeah, seeking vengeance. Like <laughs> he, he was so mad, and he comes on and scores a hat trick. That's right, yeah, because he – did he, like, sub him, like, the game before, and he was, like, visibly furious? And then he benched him for this one mm-hmm. and brought him on brought him on off the bench. Yeah, I mean, they just caught the, the Koreans' fury for this one, unfortunately. And he hadn't scored prior to this, I don't think, so it was yeah. weighing heavily on, on him. And so now the, the account is open, uh, and Kane also with a goal and assist. Kulusevski also contributing. Richarlison, like, been very good for Spurs. I mean, yeah, I didn't expect Lester to get anything out of this, but 6-2, like, that's yeah. been 13, much for me. 13-minute hat trick for Hyung Min Son. Um, so, yeah, just, uh, yeah, very rough, very rough start to the season for, for Lester, but... Um, but yeah, it it just hasn't been good enough. I think it's safe to say. Well, um, we still have a lot a lot to cover. I think we can move to La Liga, where Real Madrid sit top of the table. But the stories around La Liga this weekend, unfortunately, were not around the Madrid derby in terms of what happened on the field, but what happened prior to the match. Um, the scenes around the Wanda Metropolitano were, I mean, disgraceful is, is probably the right word. Yeah. Um, and it honestly, like, not that it's about me at all, but it just made me not enjoy the Madrid Derby, which is usually a fixture that I really like watching, but just knowing that that is what kind of colored the occasion was really just disappointing. And, um, you know, if you have it, seen or heard about what happened basically some folks that are part of Frente Atletico which is the um ultras for Atletico Madrid they were chanting racist things about uh Vinicius Jr the Real Madrid winger um who's been in the news in Spain uh I mean there's been accusations that he's kind of a wind-up merchant and that he likes to dance after goals and um 
there was an agent who made a comment about, you know, you need to stop playing the monkey or like monkeying around. And he later came out and apologized and said like, that is not what he meant, but just that's kind of like the context uh, is just the target's been on Vinicius recently. And I mean, personally, like if dancing is the worst thing you do to score when you score a goal, like who cares? Like this is about (laughs) entertainment. Like, I mean, yeah. there's so many worse ways to celebrate, right? Um, and and does you know even in this game, like it, again, the the game hardly matters to me. But even in this game, like there were things that I could see about Vinicius that are annoying. Like he does dive mm-hmm. every now and then, but I mean, nowhere near close to justification for the reactions that he's getting from the media and the treatment that he got from that certain set of Atletico fans. That's just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Um, and uh, there were reports that some of the chants were going on in the stadium too, not necessarily even from Frente Atletico, but others. Um, and then I guess uh, Sid Lowe was talking about it on the Spanish football podcast. And he said that like, to be fair, it kind of like died down after a while. Uh, but yeah, just so, so disappointing. Um, and this is why we can't have nice things, man. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It's not just an Atletico problem. I'm not trying to absolve them. It's a Spanish football slash Spanish society problem. And God forgive me for saying that, but it's true. They've got well, and and they've got a yeah, they've got to reckon with that. Um, yeah, I I do think it was a a bit poetic. Maybe not as poetic as it could have been with a Vinicius goal himself, but. Um, the opener for Real Madrid comes from a Chuamene, just a, a peach of a ball in behind, um, which mm-hmm. Rodrigo, watching it the first time, I, I literally had to rewind it because I'm like, when did he control the ball? Like, <laughs> he control. I know he did, but he yeah. took the shot so quickly after his first touch that it was like, when did he actually control the ball? And... um just absolutely levers it into the top left corner. Um, and Rodrigo and, uh, and Vinicius are, are off dancing, um, in the Wanda. So I'm, I'm not the biggest Real Madrid fan. I think many people will know that, uh, they are the cause of (laughs) some very recent heartbreak for, you know, my (laughs) club, but it was, it was nice to see, uh, to see the dance, happen like in light of what happened pre-match it was a nice uh little bit of of karma um that the brazilians uh were dancing off at off at that end of the stadium um so yeah it was uh (laughs) certainly doesn't make up for what happened but but it was a little bit of poetic justice absolutely yeah and i think real real madrid were good value for the win obviously um Atleti tried to make a game of it with the late substitution of Mario Hermoso, who had, like, insane main character energy. <laughs> uh, you know, comes on, scores the goal uh, to have the deficit at the 83rd minute, gets booked at the 89th, booked it again, second yellow in the 92nd, uh, and is obviously sent off. Um, so talk about an impact. Um, and when he got the second yellow reportedly Federico Valverde told him good job idiot so <laughs> um i mean fair to be honest um and Valverde also i want to shout him out because he's like turned into 
from the Casemiro replacement to like one of the best right wingers in the world. Like I, I this kid is unreal. Yeah. Uh, and I think Real Madrid have retooled brilliantly um, in in light of all the change that's happened here. I mean, it's just an insanely good side, uh, and I expect them to win the league. Yeah, and this, while being chased by a uh, Lewandowski-powered Barcelona, which I think it's fair to say that for all of the talk of... Obviously, you know, Xavi's influence and, and all, you know, that's, it's had a big impact, I think, on Barcelona on the pitch. But at the end of the day, and maybe, you know, Bayern fans can probably, can probably feel this right now. <laughs> Lewandowski is like the definition of a match winner. And yeah. he just gets goals when you need them. Like he's always scoring important goals. Yeah, he's just automatic in that way, and um, I mean, to be fair, his his Bayern return didn't turn out that way, and I'm sure he'll regret that. But other true, than that, true. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic, and like he's also, I think what people are finding out in Spain is because I mean, they, uh, a lot of people don't really watch the Bundesliga like that, but what a lot of uh, I gather Spanish journalists and and fans of other teams are finding is that he's actually really like technically very very good and involved in um a lot of the build-up and i know i'm saying things that are like obvious to everyone that knows about Lewandowski, obviously but i don't know that spanish football knew that about him or sure. thought that he'd be as influential as he has been and, and it's you know he forced the move and he got it and luckily for him he's he's uh making it work for him eight goals uh he's been fantastic uh and two assists to boot with that so um just yeah like you said a match winner and um the other thing about barcelona that i find really interesting too is that they've been very stingy at the back just one goal conceded in la liga the best defense <laughs> that is crazy <laughs> in the league and the best goal differential with 17 goals so i mean i here i am giving real madrid the title because they've got six wins from six uh but barcelona i mean they're you know, they pulled a lot of economic levers this summer and it seems to be <laughs> seems to be paying dividends for them. So that's good. This could be, you know, the last title in their existence as <laughs> the current entity because they they've got so much leverage debt, but you know, mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see. Um we cannot we absolutely cannot depart La Liga discussion without mentioning the third place Real Betis, uh, the Betis yes. flying high right now, and um, yeah, fifteen points uh, from from the first eighteen available, and uh, again, not a super retooled squad, not a ton, almost almost the opposite. Like money had to come out of the squad. <laughs> um this yeah. summer so uh so yeah betty's despite some of the economic challenges the squad just doing the business right now yeah i mean manuel pellegrini absolutely adore the man like he has them pretty much right where they left off and you know i wonder i do wonder if it's going to get more difficult as the fixtures pile up because they are in the europa league um but i mean they managed that that copa uh campaign pretty well last season so it True. might not be as big of a shock, but the travel certainly will be. Um, and they got off to a winning start in Europa League as well. 
Uh, the only team they've lost to is Real Madrid. So if you're a Betico or a Betica, like, really can't complain. The 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 football is supremely watchable, as it always is. In a, in a league where sometimes that is not the case, uh, Betis are the entertainers. Um, and all of this is without Nabil Fekir right now, who's injured. Yeah. Um, so Sergio Canales, um, Borja Iglesias doing very well. Borja called up for Spain. God bless. Like I think he should lead the line um, in Qatar for Spain. But that's my my agenda talking. Um, and yeah, it's just been really, really, really pleasant for Real Betis. And uh, really uh, could not contrast more with the team up north in Nervion in Sevilla, who are shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and Julian Lopetegui seems like he is hanging on to his job for dear life. A far cry from like, I mean, gosh, they won, they won the Europa League, wasn't that mm. last year or I guess two years ago now they won the Europa League, yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, just a far cry for for Lopetegui and company, and you know, I will I will give a, a a small sliver of grace to a handful of teams in La Liga who got absolutely jerked around by Barca's transfer business this, this summer, like as per um, the whole Kunde deal. And like, he was going to Chelsea. He was going like, I'm sure that that like fucked with Sevilla's business um, over the summer. Um, yeah. But all that being said, like, I think it is a perfect just juxtaposition because Sevilla traditionally more resources, obviously a little bit of a higher profile of player traditionally um and betis you know near (laughs) flying high right now with a less i guess like uh renowned squad whereas sevilla struggling um despite some of the names involved and particularly lopetegui at the helm um obviously one of the bigger bigger names in Spanish managing, but, um, but yeah, I have seen on the Betis front, I have seen more, I think with each passing Betis win, I see more just random people commenting on Sergio Canales and his like, Hey, this is a really good play. Like, it's just funny how his, his, uh, stock is slowly, slowly like reaching more and more eyes. Yeah, I mean, I've I've stand for quite a while, and I what I will say too, and this is a hot take, but I don't care. Sergio Canales, without the injuries and without the too soon Real Madrid move, becomes one of the best midfielders that Spain has produced. To be honest, like he's that good for me, um, and he's so influential. Uh, even now, for Real Betis, getting on into his thirties, uh, decently he was decently good at, at Real Sociedad too, but. You know, just I don't know that he ever reached his full potential because of the injuries and because I think he moved to to Real Madrid too early. But yeah, it is interesting to see people kind of taking note of him and of of Los Beticos, um generally, just because they're good still <laughs> and they're fun. Um, and uh, they're giving you know the Copa win I think put them at the forefront as well. Um, and they're giving these more traditional powerhouses something else to think about. And so I do think they're on the Champions League bubble. Like, I think that'll normalize as as the season goes on. I mean, Atletico have, have not been good uh, to start, at least not for their level, and they're currently seventh. 
Um, yeah, and, and you know, the Valencias and the Real Sociedades are also kind of struggling, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if they can keep this up, but La Liga, I think, is going to be really, really interesting for those, like, bubble teams. I think the, the title will still be down to the to the big, big two. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be tough to hang with them. And um, a little bit of a shout to Athletic Club, who uh, up in those reaches as well um, at the moment. They've had a really good start to the season. And um, there was a little bit of a, a article floating around just about the fact that Athletic Club's Williams brothers, Inyaki and Nico, mm -hmm. um, both got international call-ups this window for the first time. Um, and so Inyaki is about to will likely make his debut for Ghana, um, mm -hmm. as he uh, he declared for Ghana, and uh, Nico is is gotten a Spain call-up. So um, a cool little family dynamic, but with a team that is that is performing quite well to start the season and and they're fourth um just a couple of points behind behind Betis so um so yeah it's nice to see some uh community clubs rounding out like the top of the the top of the table versus some of the giants um yeah, in in La Liga um well we had in Serie A a huge match, probably the match that I would say was the most the most talked about um, of these kind of big matches. You know, the Madrid derby was going on at the same time, so it was competing for eyeballs. Um, but Napoli, AC Milan, and Napoli not only coming away with the win, but heading into the international break, top of Serie A. Um, so... That is that is the story in Italy right now is Napoli again flying high and looking looking good value for being top of the table right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to say, like I maybe this was a blind spot for me, but I didn't really see this coming. I thought Napoli would go into a period of rebuilding and not you know, not doing so hot because this is a post Koulibaly, post Lorenzo Insignia, post those three Smertens, yep. Napoli. Um, those are huge, huge personalities and footballers leaving the football club. Um, but it seems like it doesn't matter to Napoli because they're just absolutely flying and they're playing some of the best football that I've ever seen them play. Um, and they're getting tunes out of players that maybe some haven't heard of. And I certainly hadn't heard of this player before uh, this season in Kovaracchelia, who is a menace, like just... The, the man I was playing like... the man was playing in Georgia like it wasn't like <laughs> oh he was a Georgian playing in like the Russian Premier League or like Ukraine yo he wasn't at Shakhtar mm. or even at any of the he was at Dinamo like Batumi Batumi in the Georgian <laughs> first division like yeah and Napoli plucked him straight out of there dropped him straight into starting in Serie A and he is tearing it up. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's been absolutely crazy. Four goals, one assist in seven matches. Um uh, a winger primarily, uh very direct, very pacey. Um and yeah, he's just incredible. And and some of the other business that Napoli have done I've liked as well bringing in 
uh, Kim, uh, Min Jae Kim, the South Korean center back, who's who's very good. Um, Raspadori, of course, from Sassuolo, Giacomo Raspadori, uh, someone who's, um, you know, in the Italy squad. And then Alex Meret, like, at the back, uh, you know, uh, for, for them in goal has been excellent. Um, I mean, there's calls for him to start over Gio Donnarumma for Italy. Um, and so that's that's high praise for the 25-year-old. The and, um, yeah, in this game in particular, like, Napoli – it's so impressive to me because I've always felt that like Napoli have never been short on talent, but it's mentality that I've kind of questioned them for. And to go on the road to Milan to San Siro and win this crucial match, very impressive. And, and to, to, you know, hold on. Cause at one point it was all square when, when Giroud scored in the 69th minute and for Cholito Simeone to come on and he's having himself a moment as well Yeah, to come on and score. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And that's another pickup by Napoli that I really like as well. Someone who's been through many clubs in Serie A and looks like he's found a home in Napoli. Um, yeah, they're just, everyone is, is, is doing their part. Lobotka, Zambuaki says incredible. Napolitano, like someone who I really don't rate, like has been very good as well. So yeah, this this Napoli side is flying, and uh, let's see how long it continues. I mean, if there's ever going to be a a shot to solidify yourself at the top of the table, it should be right now while Juventus are shocking. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, I am trying to put together to like who is in charge of recruitment at Napoli because obviously, like De Laurentiis was so connected with. Mm-hmm. transfers out like whenever there was a big negotiation he was always the one in the media like causing a big stink trying to like drive the prices up but I want to know who's who's on mm-hmm. recruitment for them because I think in terms of I mean big shout out to Kim Min Jae mm-hmm. at center back like that's looking like an inspired signing and it, it was actually a player who it seems like Tottenham like tried to sign him and the transfer fell through for some reason and Napoli kind of like picked him up um and he made a block in stoppage time mm-hmm. in this one that kept it that kept it a, a a win for for Napoli um and uh I and think I their do... sporting director is uh Juntoli I think oh, okay Cristiano Juntoli so he, I think he's been there a minute. So I don't know if they've like, I, I don't really know. Um, I, I will say like shout out to him for not getting caught up in the in the Ronaldo thing. Cause there was a rumor at one yeah. point that Napoli wanted to go there or that he wanted to go to Napoli, I guess. And they, they completely squashed that. So I yeah. mean, he's clearly got a brain, so that's good. Yeah. But, they, uh, yeah. They're off to a flyer the, the in the ch- is just that's such a crazy find. The, yeah, that's wild. Like I don't even I don't know where you begin yeah. to like how'd that even hit their radar? Um <laughs> I don't know. But um yeah, he's it's it's crazy because it was clear that Milan even game planned for him, which like is a level of respect that <laughs> that like you know, typically seven games into your Syria uh, career, you're not 
people aren't yeah. building game plans around you specifically, but he is such a menace in space <laughs> that it's like you have to you have to find a way. And I mean, Liverpool found that out the hard way that like they offered him too much space to run into, and he absolutely ripped them to shreds. Um, yeah, and I mean, I do want to give Milan some grace because this yeah. is their first loss. Like oh for sure ever this season, <laughs> um and, and it's not a great one to to take obviously, but I think um they have missed some players. I think if I'm not mistaken, Rafael Yao is is uh, injured. Divac Origi, Antti Rebic, Zlatan, of course. So I mean, they're missing some people. They're a little hurt. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, did I make that up about? No, I think I think Rafael Leal is kind of unavailable. And then poor Serginho Des coming on and uh, conceding a penalty. Like immediately. <laughs> yeah. The poor guy. On his debut. Poor, poor guy. Um, he'll still be on the plane to Qatar, but I mean, yeah. ugh, not great. I think, and I think the message in this one, even, even, you know, result aside, all those things aside, I think the message in Serie A at entering the international break is this thing's up for grabs, like maybe more so than it's ever been. And we were talking about how entertaining Serie A has been because, you know, we've seen three unique champions over the last three years, like Juve Mm -hmm. handing the title over Inter winning it, you know, AC Milan winning it last year. So it's already entered like an entertaining phase. The top, the top four right now is Napoli, Atalanta, Udinese, and Lazio. Like, not traditional. <laughs> Yo, Udinese are. I'm glad you brought that up because they're fucking cooking. Yeah. Like, and I've and I'm not just saying like because I'm looking at their their form right now. I've watched them a bit, and they are very, very good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and that's a that's a shout out to Andreas Otil, who I think, I mean, it's amazing because you look at this squad and you're like, okay, this is like low key Watford, um, <laughs> uh, Isaac Success, Gerard Delafay, but like these players are are really putting together something special. And Beto, of course, the Portugal striker, a menace, uh, you know, leading the line, been yeah. really impressed with Roberto Pereira, another Watford um, alum. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, and and like Udinese are really really good, and and this is I love this because they're kind of from like a pretty far flung place in Italy is in the Friuli region, um, you know, heading towards uh, like Slovenia and that area, um, but they they are flying. Um, ever since the I think the opening day defeat of Milan, they've not lost. Um, and they've taken some big scalps. I mean, they throttled Roma 4-0. They beat Sassuolo. They beat Fiorentina. Um, yeah, made light work of Inter, who, I mean, <laughs> Inter's a whole thing. Um, and it's... now people are looking at uh, their manager kind of sideways for that. But Udinese, yeah. like, shout out to them. they got to give them their flowers. Yeah. I mean, they out they out-created Inter that you know it's not it's not a smash and grab or anything like that they mm-hmm. you know they had 43 percent of the ball against a team that you know won the title two years ago um and uh and yeah it is Udinese's best Serie A start it matched their their best ever Serie A start 16 points 
in the first seven games. Um, 2000, the 2000, 2001 season is, is when they achieved that. Um, so yeah, fully 21, (laughs) 21 years ago or yeah, 22, 22 years ago. Um, and then, uh, Udinese have won five Serie A games in a row for the first time since December 2017. Wow. So it's been five full years, like almost five full years since they last won five in a row. Um, yeah, they, they're off oh, to a great start in the league. And, uh, and along with, along with Lazio who have, who have looked good as well. Um, and, Despite, I think the thing that is, that is giving me like, this is going to be interesting for like the rest of the, the rest of the season is, um, the, uh, (laughs) like the results that people are getting are just so all over the place. Like Atalanta are second, but they've also, they also have a draw against Cremonese. Like, so it's not, it's not so straightforward. Like, oh, okay. You know, um, like, oh, all these teams that are at the top are just going to like win out and everything's going to be fine. It's like, um, this is going to be like a pretty chaotic Serie A season if I had to guess. Well, I mean, you say that I, we might as well talk about this. What about Monza one Juventus nil? Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's going on at Juventus, Phil? Like, can you sum it up, or what? If, what do you think is? Because right now they sit what eighth, two wins, four draws, and one loss. So just not even like losing a whole bunch of games, but just not, not getting games over the line that they really should be winning. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it feels like time is up. Um for Max. For Max. It, it's just this performance against Monza in particular, but really like all season, they've just, you know, Juve have always been, I would say analog, you know, analog is Real Madrid sort of in La Liga where like they're not always going to blow teams away, but they mm. always find a way. That's like, that's been Juve's vibe for the last decade. Um, and the reality right now is they're not finding a way, but they're also not really doing much of anything. Like they only fashioned two shots on target against Monza, which is insane. Like a team that had never won in Serie A before. And you, a Juve team that in, that includes, you know, Vlahovic, Di Maria, Moretti, like, and Di Maria, like he, I feel like he was like, I don't like this. I'm gonna, I gotta go. He got himself sent <laughs> off. What's like? Because it's like the existential red from Stadio. But I mean, this was almost like, uh, just like a ticket, like a ticket out. Like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually good. I've seen enough. I, I'm a head out type red. Yeah. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, he's getting harried on the ball or whatever, but he absolutely gets provoked by it, overly provoked by it, and elbows his his opposite man in, like, the chest-neck area. And it was such a clear, like, motion, like a violent motion that 
he had to go. Um, and so yeah. maybe that's a little bit of, well, not, I wouldn't say a little bit, but that is some mitigation because down, down a man is hard, whoever you are. But the thing about this result for me that's unacceptable, and I don't like to make too much of this, but like you see it, and I, I saw it as well in the Champions League against PSG, um, the body language of this Juve side is garbage. Um, they are just walking. Yeah. Uh, defending very like haphazardly. Um, in this game, Gatti came in again, Federico Gatti, and I thought he was awful, <laughs> like really bad. I think Bremer has not had the most clear cut start. Leonardo Bonucci in the Champions League has shown his, I think, decline. Um, and yeah, it's if there's anyone, and I mean, this is gonna sound biased, but if there's anyone in this UVA side who looks like they give a shit right now, it's Weston McKinney. Yeah. Um, I think he's always running himself into the ground, uh, for the side and, um, he starts in this one, but you know, not able to make too, too much of an impact. And, and once I were like going for it and dominated the ball. And so I think this is really impressive from Rafael Paladino's men. Um, but yeah, uh, not great and he uh max allegri was given kind of the, the vote of confidence if you will um this week by the juventus board they i forgot who it was that put out a statement like no we're, we have a project with max like it would be crazy to sack him now type thing and i'm like that's not good like if you were <laughs> if you were pleased you just wouldn't say anything i think um the only thing i will say is that there is a lot of injuries Sure. Paul Pogba with a meniscus, Manuel Locatelli, Alexandro, Federico Chiesa, who's really, really important, has that cruciate, uh, Adrian Rabio. So, yeah, they don't have the best players, but I mean, this is Juventus. Like, you got to put Monsa away. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. the amount of resource that you have compared to this newly promoted side, like, I'm not buying it. Um, yeah. Really yeah. bad. I'm, yeah. I mean, they, they won. Um, the open, you know, the opening day of the Serie A season, they put Sassuolo away three nil, and then three weeks later they beat Spezia, and that was the last time this Juve team won. August thirty first against Spezia in all competitions, that was their last win. They've drawn to Fiorentina, lost to PSG, drawn Salernitana, lost to Benfica, lost to Monza, and like. Also, like, there, there's this, like, Portuguese nightmare going on for them in the Champions League. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, they got knocked out by a Portuguese side last time as well. So, I mean, this is just a group stage, but. But, yeah. Weird. Yeah. So, Bologna is their next match up, and I never would have thought you, I would have never looked at Juve Bologna and circled it on the calendar. But, <laughs> I mean, if they don't get, if they don't get a win at home, to Bologna, then, yeah. Yeah, like, and the last time they played, Bologna managed a draw, and it was that man Arnautovic who, who scored <laughs> the goal for them, and Vlahovic had to rescue them in the 90th to get something out of it. So, I yeah. mean... Stoke City legend Marco Arnautovic. Uh, he's off to a flyer, too, six goals he, and seven. Yeah. So, watch out, <laughs> Juventus. Yeah. Um, no, it is wild, and, I mean... Them and Torino level on level on points. So, wow the uh, the red side of of Turin will be, I'm what sure, singing make... plenty of songs. 
Yeah. What do you make of this kind of like faltering Inter? That's three losses now in their first seven. Do you think it's a blip or is there something more going on here? It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they've earned enough over the last couple of seasons to say like, yeah, it's probably, it's probably a blip. Um, but I think this Roma match becomes, becomes pretty big because it, it can be a statement victory or, or a really, really like big kind of seminal defeat, especially, especially since Jose will like certainly use it as, (laughs) as ammunition for himself. But, um, but Yeah. yeah, I think, I think this Roma match becomes, becomes quite important, um, for that reason. And I think, I think for this inter side, really the, like the thing that they haven't been able to, to figure out as far as I can, as far as I can see is like the Lataro Martinez, Lukaku partnership that like fired them to the title Lukaku hasn't been like uh consistently available so that's mm-hmm. been that's been an issue for them um I think he's been out now for a little while if I'm not mistaken I don't think he played against Udinese either yeah cuz Jeko's been like um I guess yeah standing in standing in for him and Jekko let's be real like Jekko is <laughs> he was brought in not to necessarily be like their main guy um yeah but but he has been and and then I think uh to go along with that they just haven't they haven't recreated this this same balance in midfield that they were finding previously where Barella, Brozovic, and Chalanolu, like there was a there's a very unique sort of connection there. And for whatever reason, it just feels a little bit off now. Like Yeah. Um, and I think Barella hasn't really hit the heights of of like what he's I mean, he scores a cracking free kick against Udinese, to be fair to him. Um, but those moments aside like he's not he's not hitting the heights that um that he was certainly like last year and then in that title year in the lead up to the euros i guess like that was um that was when he was like really flying and and it just hasn't yeah it hasn't been the same for this for this intersite and they've been they've been porous too which is which is interesting because Defry and and Skriniar like synonymous with like defensive solidity, and they just haven't they haven't been there. I think Skriniar actually like puts her through his own net in the Udinese game as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things in this Udinese game other than the scoreline that are troublesome. I think. I mean, Brozovic picks up his fifth yellow card, so he will miss the Roma match. Oh wow! Uh, and we know he's important. Bastoni taken off in the 31st minute after getting carded 
furious, like absolutely furious on on the bench, and I just don't know, like, how yeah. that how that will play in the locker room, right? Because that is the thing that if 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 Simone Inzaghi loses the locker room, then I mean you're toast, and yeah. there have been meetings between him and the directors on how to turn the season around, which sounds kind of like nuts after seven games, but I mean Inter have raised their standards considerably in recent seasons, and um, I think for Simone Inzaghi the the question mark that I have is does he have another way of playing when it's not going right like he's he creative enough to find solutions I'm not sure um and and I think you're right to point out you know that the defending has been subpar I think Francisco Cherby has been like the best defender and this is a defense that has like you said Skriniar, Bastoni, uh, De Vrij who I think is is kind of declining but yeah and then Handanovic who like I cannot believe he still starts like I don't know why that is or why uh if Onana's just not ready yet or, or what the case may be but like I I thought Handanovic was finished like last season so right um whenever they do move on from him that'll be interesting to watch as well so yeah just kind of precarious right now for Inter uh but they have not lost to Roma since 2017 so they typically show up against uh, the Gialarossi. But, I mean, Roma, too, are also kind of in a spot of bother, although I don't know that it's quite as dramatic uh, as as this interside since they just won Scudetto not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a big match for both of them on October 1st, and I have circled that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's really important that both these sides get a result, to be honest, so... And always nice to when you get a you know when you get Mourinho against a former side at the San Siro, yeah, great. <laughs> um, but yeah, plenty going on in Serie A. I think it'll be this again. Like it was the title race to watch last year. It was the title race to watch the year before. I think again, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. Just given given where we are kind of starting from in this opening sort of set of fixtures. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of different ways that this can go, and uh, and everything is is pretty tightly packed, even even this early on. But, um, well, I uh, I guess as we as we continue continue moving, um, the Bundesliga against all odds, we thought, you know, season kicks off, Bayern, you know, put. Eintracht to the sword 6-1 or whatever it was and everybody's thinking okay like you know they play Bochum and it's a 7-0 it's like okay Bayern's just gonna canter to the title that you know it's the Bundesliga is done and dusted three games in already um and then a draw against Mönchengladbach and then a draw against Union and then a draw against Stuttgart then a loss to Augsburg Things are happening in the Bundesliga. Union Berlin is top. Um, and actually, um, as it stands, Bayern are fifth. Not by not by a large margin, but um this is this is an interesting start to the Bundesliga season. Um and far more interesting than we thought it was gonna be maybe three games in. That is for sure. I'm i I'm not gonna lie, I've I've kind of like 
not fallen out of love with the Bundesliga by any means because I still think that there's a lot there to watch other than a title race. Um, uh, but it is somewhat easier to pick like a Serie A or, or La Liga fixture if if it's on over the Bundesliga in past seasons just because there's not been that kind of element of competitiveness, unfortunately. So, yeah, Bayern in fifth, crazy. Um, I think Nagelsmann has bought himself a little bit of moving room with the with a wiggle room with the win over Barcelona in the Champions League. But yeah, it's for Bayern's board, I think winning the Bundesliga is supposed to be like a formality. And right now they're making like an absolute meal of it. Yeah. I know it's early. Um, but I mean, re- recall that this is a manager, Julian Nagelsmann is a manager that they spent $25 million on to get him out of his contract at RB Leipzig. Uh, so he in of himself is a big money move, right? And they're expecting to get their money's worth out of that. And when you've got a Thomas Tuchel newly unemployed in the background, having just won the Champions League, and unfairly sacked by Chelsea a lot would say, I mean, I think if I'm Nagelsmann, I'm worried about that, right? Because that seems like an obvious replacement if he's not up to scratch. Um, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's really interesting to see uh, what's going on at Byron. And, and another point, uh, another statistical point, um, is that this loss to Augsburg brought an end to Byron's record of consecutive games scoring, which was 86 games. Wow. This is the first time they've been shut out in 86 games. And, of course, the, <laughs> oh my the obvious God. like pivot then is like Robert Lewandowski. Like what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes, did they win the Bundesliga at a canter sometimes? Yes, but Lewandowski is, like we said at the top of the show, towards the, you know, in the La Liga conversation, he's a match winner. And they don't have that level of match winner in the side, I argue. Um, you know, I think they have done some good business. I think there's probably a question, I think, about, about some of Byron's business. But, yeah, just the Lewandowski size toll, I think, is, is it's, maybe I'm reducing the issues there a bit, but because they still have scored quite a lot of goals. But when you just need someone to make something out of nothing, I don't know that they have that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess um, on the on the Bayern conversation, we did get a question at Zoom NREF 11. He said, Mane to Bayern has hurt which team the most? Like, has it hurt Liverpool more losing him or Bayern signing him instead of signing a true like number nine to replace Robert Lewandowski. Um, I'd be interested to see like how you feel about, about the Mane move um, as a, as a neutral. I think Sadio Mane is an excellent player. Um, Obviously he's world-class. And I thought that Bayern moving for him was perfectly fine. I am not, convinced or as convinced as others that he is really a a number nine like I know he played that role uh at Liverpool and I know he can score goals but yeah replacing him replacing Lewandowski with him to me never like that's not an analog like it's really not I think it gives you more in terms of like um the press and the intensity and he will score goals yes but he's not that like penalty box uh, monster, right? No. Um, and he is getting on a bit. He's getting on a bit. He's coming from a, t- a team where he 
two consecutive teams, Southampton and Liverpool, where they, they press a lot, you know, and I could see why Nagelsmann was attracted to that. Um, but he is getting on a little bit. He, he played all the way through AFCON to win it. A lot of miles in those legs. Um, and so I think the expectation is, is obviously very high when you go to a club like Bayern. And I just was not convinced that that is necessarily a like for like replacement. So I think I would say Bayern is probably hurt more by this because really a part of the reason why they lost Lewandowski is by pissing him off by being linked to Erling Haaland. So my thing is, if you're going to lose a player like that, then you better go buy Holland. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that seems obvious to me, but um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that didn't take a whole great deal of thinking to, to come to the conclusion that Holland would be a good replacement for Lewandowski, but yeah, to, to piss off Robert and then not even go for that player. I, I don't understand, but um, so I would say Mane to Byron hurts Byron more. I think Liverpool will be fine. Like, I think they do miss him, but they've retooled before he ever left perfectly well. Luis Diaz is a great player. Diogo Jota is a great player. Maybe a little bit of issues with availability, but mm-hmm. nothing too concerning. So that's kind of my take. I, and I, I don't know. I think that that's maybe like not what the take that most people have, but I guess we'll see right now. Phil, what do you make of it? I, I mean, I would agree in that. I do think Mane leaving Liverpool hurts in the short term in that it forces Luis Diaz to be that guy on the left wing. And it took away because Mane was when Firmino was out for those stretches last year. He played in that nine position. But I think where it gets to your point of Bayern being hurt more is Mane played the nine like Roberto Firmino not like Robert Lewandowski. Mm. <laughs> yes. Roberto, not Robert. And it's like <laughs> a single letter, but a gulf of a huge gulf of difference and just not the type of... If you're going to play a, a guy like that in the nine, then the volume goal scorer has to be one of the other forwards. And like even taking just the Augsburg match like and looking at the you know the other forwards who started in Nagelsmann's four two three one, Jamal Musiala, Leroy Zane, Thomas Muller. Mm. None of those three are volume goal scorers. Like not not recently, anyways. Like Muller at one point was you know pretty prolific, but none of those guys have been twenty goals a season guys. Like. Yeah. Musiala is still extremely young. Zane is like never put it all together in a complete season, scoring a bunch of goals. True. Muller is is, I mean, they were talking at the last World Cup about Thomas Muller being like a little bit too old. <laughs> so like <laughs> now we're on to 2022, and so I think the problem for I think the problem for Nagelsmann is he's brought in an interesting like he's brought in somebody that you needed to bring in somebody else too. Like it was like Mane is a really interesting piece to retool Bayern's offense or you know their attack and how they how they construct moves but he's not the the final piece because he's really just one step of okay, now I've got this nine who can press like hell and will bring other people into the play and all that sort of stuff. But 
your wingers now have to be volume goal scorers. And I honestly think like Gnabry should be that guy in terms of like Mm. a wide player who scores. So him being more involved, maybe that makes it make more sense. But, um, but even then Gnabry's never been like, he's again, not a 20 plus goal season guy. Um, maybe he could be, but, but, um, but yeah, losing Lewandowski and then trying to retool the offense with a guy who plays nine completely. I think Bayern, honestly, Bayern and Liverpool's issues are sort of the same in that it's like, Hey, we're trying to do something pretty different with this new guy playing in the nine and we're not necess- necessarily sure like the best way to do it yet. Um, mm-hmm. And there will be plenty of games in the Bundesliga where Bayern are just the more talented team and they will like blow teams away. But you can see the teams that they've suffered that they've suffered against like Munchen Gladbach. They look like they're finally getting their shit together. Like, Right, like over the last couple of weeks, it's like, oh, maybe they have a plan. Gladbach always give Bayern a game, so that yeah. too, that too. Union <laughs> game plan, like you may their their club name could be game plan. Like they literally they <laughs> they are like uh, at the moment, it seems like they just figure out their opponent every time. Stuttgart, I think we've been, you know, we've previously been very complimentary of of uh Matarazzo at at Stuttgart. And like everybody's going to be up for the Bayern game anyways because they've won the title for 10 straight years or 9 straight years or whatever. So, um mm-hmm. and so and then Augsburg who again like an organized team with a plan um, so yeah, Bayern, Bayern have blown away a couple of teams who they kind of caught, kind of caught cold, I guess. Um, and a Vol- they beat a Wolfsburg team that is really, really struggling under Nico Kovac, um, which yeah. will be familiar to Bayern fans, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this Bayern team are, they're figuring it out and against teams that have a good plan on how to try to counter it, then they're, they're suffering so far this season. And um, yeah, they play Leverkusen next, which they're catching Leverkusen at maybe like the worst possible time. Cause it feels like Leverkusen are finally figuring out what they're trying to do as well this season. Um, they've been dreadful domestically but they just beat Atletico in the Champions League so um and in particular Callum Hudson-Odoi I would I would say put on a very good performance uh against Atletico so um so yeah I think they're kind of finally turning a corner so it'll be interesting to see how Bayern show up when both teams will likely feel like they have something to prove Bayern for title credentials and Leverkusen for we can win a game domestically. <laughs> yeah, and they they certainly have to because despite that impressive win over Atletico, I mean, I think that's one win from seven. Um, and and Gerardo Ceolani, a, a manager that I really like, 
whose style I really like is I would say he's under pressure. So um, big time. So yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah, Leverkusen. But, Leverkusen, you know, would have been expecting to be in this top four conversation, not in relegation candidate. Um. Well, th- speaking of that, speaking of like teams and places that we don't expect, at Goatfoot Twenty One asked, "Is the Bundesliga a toss-up?" What a question. Like, this is something that I don't know that we would have ever thought we'd discuss anytime soon with Bayern seeming like they were going to win the next 10 more. Yeah. Uh, Meisterschale. Is it a toss-up? I mean, what do, what do we think? Uh, it's so hard. Like, there's something about looking at the Bundesliga table where you're like, oh, maybe maybe this could be interesting. And then you see you see those those blue and white diamonds surrounded by that red circle. And you think, ah, no, (laughs) like they'll be fine. But it it is interesting. I think looking at the teams above Bayern, well, and even, I mean, they're level with Mönchengladbach on points. Um, Mönchengladbach got off to a horrid, horrid start to the season, but they've been, they have been good over the last, over the last few weeks. Um, The teams above Bayern, it's like, Union, nobody really knows how sustainable this is, I guess, from Union, but they've just been really solid, like in their start to the season. And in particular, Jordan Peefock. Yeah, Jordan Peefock. Like he scored again at the weekend against against Mainz, I think they won. Um, Was that Mainz or. uh, No, sorry, Wolfsburg. Yeah. Wolfsburg, yeah. But yeah, he scored he scored again. Um Geraldo so Becker also going off. Not yeah. goal involvements. Geraldo Becker his goal was so so good too, just like uh running in behind and chesting the ball down before like kind of going past mm-hmm. the keeper. But um so yeah, Union I I don't know, like are they amazing, title though. contenders? <laughs> like I don't I don't know about that, but I think it is amazing to see how they've entrenched themselves in the top flight after toiling in the lower divisions for so long. I think that's really, really admirable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it, they stay at this top spot, but damn, they're scoring goals for fun and only conceded four. Yeah. So, you know, they, they're good value. They are actually, I mean, across, across like the – across the the top of the table like they are they have the second best goal difference behind Bayern and Bayern are kind of inflated by two like really really big wins Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean they've been the most consistent team in these opening seven matches I I think well and I'll say this while knocking on wood for any Union sympathizers out there but they haven't lost they haven't lost yet and they're in rare they're in rarefied air um across europe right now with the other teams who haven't lost a domestic game um i i do think union's union being in the europa league complicates a title challenge like i when when you think of the Mm. when you think of the last you know Everybody references the Leicester title win, like 2015-16, as like the you know 
everyone says like 5,000 to one, all that stuff. They did not have Europe. They literally played sure. league games <laughs> and the cups and that was it. So I think Europa League complicates. If Union is seriously going to hang around a title conversation, like the Europa League starts to complicate things pretty quickly because, um, well, one, they have it. I guess maybe their plan is to exit the Europa League because they've been pretty bad. <laughs> they lost to Union, to the other Union, saint gilles uh or gilles um, yeah. in the first match day and then lost to Braga in match day two. So maybe their plan is to exit the Europa league and challenge for the title. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is interesting and it's entertaining for the time being. And I mean, we got to give flowers to Dortmund as well, who came out on top in the Revere Derby, which I'm so happy is a Bundesliga fixture again, one nil to the, Koningsblauen, the Schalke Novier, their hated rival. Um, what do you make of Dorman's work? I think, well, one, I'll say I was a little bit skeptical of the Modest signing. Like, that mm. felt very stopgappy uh, for me. And, you know, signing a guy from Köln who's, like, never really – he's not been, like, a big goal scorer or whatever. I think he fits – he fits the space like well in this Dortmund side where they were trying to, they're basically trying to plug somebody in ahead of Bront Royce and Danielle Malin. Like that was the idea, I guess. Um, I think, I think I'm still waiting for, I mean, and in full fairness to Dortmund, they played extremely well in the Revere Derby. They, uh, completely like nullified anything Schalke was trying to do. But they also have this, you know, the three nil loss to Leipzig where they looked completely like at sea mm. and just, and, and you know, how I don't know how much of that was. Cause I think Marco Rosa was back in charge was that was his first game in charge. I think of Leipzig. Um, so, Maybe there's a little bit of something there into why that went so, so poorly. But I just haven't seen from Dortmund the consistency of... And I think, I mean, I think their record speaks for itself. It's like they've got 15 points and they've got five wins. They've only scored nine goals in seven games. And mm-hmm. <laughs> which is one of the lowest returns like in the league. Like not even just... <laughs> Sure. Not even just in the top in the top tier of teams. Um nobody uh yeah, nobody in the top seven have scored fewer. Um Yeah, they've been kind of like just getting the results, but not their usual like high flying selves, I guess. Yeah. Um but yeah. So it'll just be interesting to see if they can put it together a little bit more, I guess. Um to me, they're to me they're maybe kind of like getting by by the skin of their teeth, but in terms of like serious title challengers, um, but I mean teams and teams talking about teams like not where you'd think they'd be. We you know 
a club that's hung around now the top four um, and cup finals, et cetera, Freiburg back in the conversation um, and third. Um, and yeah, not, not necessarily like shocking the world by any stretch of the imagination, but they're, they're putting in some really good performances despite again, a Europa league distraction where, they, in contrast to Union, are off to a flyer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, always got to put some respect on Christian Streich's name because what he's been able to do with Freiburg over the past couple seasons is incredible. And um, a lot of players in this team that are like Bundesliga lifers, I would say. I mean, Matthias Ginter, Vincenzo Grifo... Mikhail Gregorich, like all of them are playing at parts. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really great that a, a club like Fargerberg have been able to find value in the league. Um, and, and then Ruto Duan as well is also um, playing there uh, as well. And I really like that player. He's got two goals. Um, I think he joined permanently from PSV Eindhoven. I believe so. So love to see that. Um, yeah, we'll see if Freiburg can keep it up because they're, they're a, a really likable team from a, a, a humble area, um, you know, without wanting to sound too patronizing. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting at the top. Is it, is it a toss up? Like, I don't know to answer Grant's question. I suppose we'll see as time goes on. You do still think that Byron will eventually get it together and soar up the table. Um, but before we go off the Bundesliga topic, I want to be petty for a second and ask you, what do you make of 12th place Rasenball Sport Leipzig and the like unholy matrimony of Marco Hosa and Max <laughs> Ebel in Leipzig? What do you make of Marco Hosa's start and that like reunion and just everything that is, to me, fucking bizarre yeah, about this? it is... It is really strange. Um, I mean, first of all, like Leipzig's start, you know, to the season broadly has obviously been been torrid. Like Tedesco got off to it. Tedesco was getting. I mean, when we were talking at the end of last season, we we're talking about like Domenico Tedesco potentially leading like a title charge mm. this season for for RB Leipzig. And I think we all kind of thought that like, well, if he can keep the group together and they keep on Kunku and they keep, you know, trouble Schley and like all these sort of like hot talents that are in, in Leipzig, like, well then maybe they have a chance. And the beginning of the season, they just, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what exactly went on, for like the fall to be so steep because um they just not only were they not looking you know they bring back Timo Werner they've kept a lot of like stability in the squad which i think you know cuz Nkunku, Olmo, Kampel, Limer like they all these guys who have been around <laughs> are are all yeah. still there and it just wasn't it just wasn't happening. So one, I think it's very strange that Eberl like that this was the project that brought him out of his like funk or whatever. You know, yeah. he was talking about like he was struggling with like mental health and things like that. Um yeah. 
so it is interesting that RB Leipzig was the like the landing spot for to deal with that, but um, but it feels like a marriage of convenience in many ways because obviously Gladbach enjoyed such a good run of success with Eberl and um, and Rosa, you know, combined. Uh, so I guess maybe it's just like, hey, it's worked before, so maybe it'll work again. Um, and obviously it's been... It was start-stop in the most intense way where it was start with a win over Borussia Dortmund and a convincing one at that, and then immediately stop with a loss to Real Madrid and then stop again with a heavy defeat to, to Mönchengladbach. So, um, I love to see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's very straight. It's so early to say, like, whether or not this move, you know, is a good one or makes sense, but... Um, the idea of, of starting this sort of project mid season is also very, is also very weird, um, to me because, you know, sporting director and manager, um, like reuniting just feels mm. like a, I don't know. It just feels like a, maybe they should have held off till the off season and mm-hmm. have like a window to to do stuff but um and i guess that kind of tells you that rb leipzig have the like the capacity to mess up if this does go wrong because they do have enough money to kind of weather a mistake like that i guess yeah but uh yeah i love Gladbach putting the three no beat down on them at the Borussia <laughs> park because mako was a completely destabilized the club <laughs> by yeah. leaving the way he did and then to not even go on to succeed at dortmund it's just like Ha ha. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he is from Leipzig, so it's a homecoming for him. Yeah. Literally. Um, and, I, you know, to be fair, I do think his tactics could fit at Leipzig. Sure. Um, and, yeah, we'll just have to see. I mean, he is from that, like, Red Bull school of managers anyway. So, yeah. Uh, I suppose it makes sense in that regard. The Max Abel thing is a, like, blows me away. Like, I thought he was going to take a break from football. Um, and that's clearly not the case. So I guess we'll see. Um, he did wonderful things at Gladbach on a, you know, relatively shoestring budget. So to see him get some money to play with is going to be very interesting indeed. Um, but, um, he'll also have to play the, the Red Bull game and, you know, do business that way as well. So, yeah, I, um, I will say in this in this Gladbach Leipzig game before we before we move on from it. One, I was really impressed with with Gladbach's performance, um, but it also just like highlighted to me how Ben Sabaini, who's been like he went through that, didn't he have like an injury towards the end of last season that kind of like took him out for a while? Yeah, mm-hmm. I just think his influence in the team is like it's very marked to me when he's not in the side um, and not and, just and from Hosa the goal. tried to take him away from Gladbach. So he knows it too. He tried to bring him to Dortmund. So I, I yeah. think Ben Sabayini is, is one of those players who like maybe his influence isn't always stamped all over the score sheet, which in this case he, it, it was. It and 
<laughs> holy cow, like the finish on, on his goal was just like, it's just not what you expect from a fullback uh, to like that sort of close control and then like the audacity to chip the keeper from from that sort of yeah it was just uh a great great finish um but his influence in the side I think it, it's just Gladbach are a different team without him um and I would also say I think the Weigel signing is also a really good one next to Kone because Kone obviously like sort of a like still an up and coming talent, like still a, a young youngster really trying to find his way in that, in that midfield. Um, and bringing Weigel back to, to Germany, I think was, a, I think that was a, a good move from, from Borussia, but. Yeah, I think uh, Monocone is such a special player. I mean, if you're looking for, um, I guess maybe like a Kamavinga to a many kind of analog, like he's it. He's just excellent. Um, so good to watch. So smooth on the ball. Only 21 years old, uh, joins, uh, from Toulouse who produce a lot of talents to be fair. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, he's so good. Um, almost made me forget about Denny Zakaria really at this point. So, yeah, Gladbach are, are making it interesting again. And the Bundesliga in general is just very interesting right now. So I'm happy for that because I think it's 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 good for the league to have Bayern in distress, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, we'll see how long it lasts, I guess. Um, well, while we're on the topic of Manu Kone and France, you mentioned Toulouse. Uh, so on to Liga Un. Um, PSG back to the top of the pile as as was to be expected although they haven't they haven't created huge separation yet thankfully mm. um Marseille I think we talked about Marseille uh being potential title challengers and then when Sampoli left we were thinking like okay maybe not um <laughs> And then they still are. So anyways, like they're still in the conversation at least eight games into the season. But I did want to talk about, you know, I think many people would be like, oh my God, are you seriously going to spend time talking about PSG like winning in France again? Because like what else is new? But <laughs> this PSG with Christophe Gaultier um, and I mean, let's be real, they've, They've scored 26. They've allowed four domestically through eight matches. Galtier is getting a different level of performance out of this PSG side. And I think the most marked difference is in that that front four, front three, however you want to refer to them. Um, but the performances from, from Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe have been markedly different I would say from from what we saw under Pochettino for sure I mean I think when when Mauricio Pochettino was at the helm it, the one of the narratives was always like oh is he gonna continue to play all three of them like who do you bench like oh my god such a you know potential controversy with Gaultier I don't know that there's ever been really a question he's making the three of them work together and I think like his <laughs> attitude um, in post-match press conferences and just generally from what I know of him following him uh, through Lille and, and things like that is 
like he doesn't seem phased by all these personalities in the dressing room and and as we know PSG is like a political job um one that I think maybe Pochettino and, and Tuchel before him didn't really embrace or enjoy that much and with Galtier it just seems like it rolls off his shoulders that kind of uh narrative um one thing I I love is that he's it seems like he's almost fully transitioned Messi into a creative role. And I think we all knew that that would come with, you know, age and him getting on that, that he can't score goals. Of course he can. But um, it seems like the goal scoring onus is off Messi. And I think that can only be good for the player um, because Neymar and Bobby can put it away as often as they do. Um, And yeah, I'm. I think that the Galtier appointment has been very good. The I did have some doubts about like, okay, is he gonna make like these three players defend in his like four four two? And actually, he's been really quite flexible in his starting formations, at least, or you know, starting positions. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's been good for the most part. I mean, they've blown away teams like not Claremont foot like you know beat the dross like as you say they blew Lille away 7-1 but then they've had to like grind out like you know the one nil to Brest or this most recent one nil to Lyon um over the weekend and, and Messi scored the goal in the fifth minute and that was pretty much it um so yeah um I think it it looks good for PSG Obviously, the Champions League, much like Manchester City, that's where they really would like to lift some silverware, and the league league title should just be a formality. Um, but yeah, PSG, to be fair, they've also spent a ton, as usual, and brought in a lot of players. Um, Fabian Ruiz, uh, Carlos Soler, um, just to name a few. I think Vitinha as well. So, I mean, it's it's a stacked... It's a stacked... Uh, lineup Nordi Mukiele as well so I mean he just a ridiculous squad um and I guess the Renato Sanchez as well I forgot about him but I think he's been injured but um yeah this is a a very stacked squad and and I'm just I'm kind of glad like I'm not a big PSG fan but I am glad that the PSG hierarchy recognize talent within their own division rather than going for you know an Ancelotti, a Pochettino, a Tuchel, you know, like those right. big continental names. And they went for Gaultier, who's proven in Ligue 1 what he can do. Yeah. And so far, it looks like a masterstroke. Yeah. It, it's It's been I, – and I think it really does just come down to – and it seems like such an oversimplification of things, but it does feel like it just com, comes down to, like, no, this is how I – play like this is how the team plays and the members of the team are going to play the way that I say that the team is going to play (laughs) (laughs) which is it just sounds like such an oversimplification of things but I really do think that Pochettino allowed allowed himself and, and I mean obviously like we're not flies on the wall like we don't see the conversations that are going on but I think it's in I I mean I think it's the proofs in the pudding of there was so much there were there were so many like conversations coming out of PSG's locker room there was every week there was a new article about oh Mbappe said this Neymar said this Messi said this like so and so is unhappy about x and y and z those stories are just like i mean i'm sure they're out there in like french tab- tabloids and stuff but they're not mm. 
they're not on, you know, ESPN or, or like, um, they, they were dominating yeah. like that sort of locker room tension was just like all over the place. And it's just, it's just not anymore. And whatever the changes that's happened behind the scenes, I think it, it, I think the change is apparent just in terms of like last season, we, we joked that PSG were like somehow the worst champions, but had like the biggest margin of victory <laughs> in their domestic <laughs> league. And it had way more to do with like other, you know, issues at other clubs in France and, and their ability to just like at the end of the day, like someone's going to turn on the world-class, you know, whatever setting and, and win the game. This feels just like much more systematic. And like you said, they've come up against some fights. I think I I do want to give some credit to Leon in this one because they, they did give PSG like uh, a, more of a, more of a fight than they've, they've certainly gotten in a lot of games uh, this year, but it is like, it is still, a like stunning style of football that Gaultier is has put in place. I mean, they had, you know, two thirds of the ball. They complete yeah. just shy of 800 passes <laughs> with a 92% accuracy across 90 minutes with as a team, which is fucking crazy. Clinical. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, and they only we be, yeah, they only commit be four fouls. Like they they wow. don't they just like they just play football. It's crazy. Like yeah. Unless we be accused of of having like rose colored glasses on about the PSG situation, like there are still like PSG things that go on, right? Like Neymar has been he was super pissed to be substituted against Lyon after setting up you know yeah. Messi's goal. He's been subbed off like the past four games, I think, or something like that. But Gaultier just came out and defended it and said, like, yeah, he's a world class player. Like, you know, he's and he just started like rambling on about all the things he likes about Neymar. And boom, that's it. Like, (laughs) you know, no further drama. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he still has to, to deal with those things, but it seems like he's dealing with them just fine. Um, so yeah, there will always be that stuff. And, you know, as we found out Mbappe now like owns the club or whatever. So maybe that'll come <laughs> up too. But, um, yeah, I think, I think this PSG, the, the proof will be in the champions league pudding, if you will. So, yeah. well, um, PSG top Marseille, Marseille are, are in the conversation. Um, as we said, in um, they have overseen the resurgence of one Alexis Sanchez, which I think maybe is. Um, Marseille's just like a home for like lost souls, <laughs> particularly of the Arsenal persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Payet and then Alexis Sanchez. Not not for Arsenal, obviously, but Payet yeah. coming from England and and finding a home in Marseille, and then um, Alexis Sanchez. Right. Um, the maybe the more maybe the more on the more surprising front is the emergence of well Lance were up in the conversation uh at the end of last season for potential Champions League but Lorient uh are are third and Lance are fourth um so yeah the similarly in in France like some of the 
some of the traditional big boys are are hanging out outside of the top four at the moment. Yeah, and Lorient are doing it with players who are not, you know, like that well known. I mean, Terra Muffy with six goals, Utuara is, is getting on the assists as well. Um, and Lorient, like, they were very recently in Ligue 1 um, and had just recently got promoted. So this is an impressive start from them. Six wins, one draw, one loss. In fact, I think when. I think when Arsenal bought Matteo Ginduzi from Lorient, they were in Ligue 2. So, um, a come up for sure. And in a club that's produced a lot of important players over the years, to be fair. So, um, it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, keep this up. And just, I'm always tickled by the fact that they employ Vito Manone, like one of the <laughs> rare like players who has come back from MLS to play in Europe, you know? Yeah. Because uh, he was at Minnesota United for, like, a hot minute. Like, yeah. I think he made, like, 30, 40 appearances or something. Um, Ido Manone. So, he is he's there. Uh, and, yeah, it's just a, a a team that are, appear to be more than the sum of their parts, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a interesting one, too, because I think we, we spoke about Monaco potentially – potentially pulling up some trees, but they've been a little bit inconsistent, both both in, well, domestically more so than in Europe. They've been decent in Europe, I think, but um, after they, well, they crashed out of the Champions League qualifying against PSV um, mm-hmm. and then got off to a really, really rocky start in the league, um, but they've been better since... Uh, September 4th, they beat Nice, uh, one nil, then they beat Lyon and then they beat, they beat Reims, uh, three nil. So, I mean, they've, they've kind of turned it around, uh, after a really, really rough start. But, um, I think that like four, two loss to Trois was probably the one that is like the Yikes. fuck. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Right, um, yeah. But yeah, so Monaco's been kind of all over the place in Lyon similarly like not really not really putting anything consistent together. Um I still can't believe that Peter Bosch is the manager there. Like I swear he's been sacked like twice already, but he's still there. <laughs> so Well, and with and with Lyon's uh hierarchy the way it's set up, like you wouldn't be shocked by Right. I mean, they got a lot of good players Lyon do, so um, and they brought back Alex Lacazette, of course, um, who's done well. Four goals, one assist. So yeah, um, yeah. They they're having a whole like sort of reunion tour because they got Lacazette. They got they brought back Corentin Corentin as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't realize Tali Afiko landed there as well. Many would remember him from the IX. <laughs> The IX yes. teams of the the Champions League runs, yeah, and he's been quite good for them. To yeah. be fair, and a, a player that I've always really liked. At one point, I wanted Arsenal to go for him, but yeah, he's uh, with Legon. So, well, that is that is the roundup of the big leagues. Um, obviously, tons of stuff that we've likely left out, but each of these leagues have such 
rich storylines going on and um yeah just a ton a ton to watch week in and week out we are headed into the international break so a little bit of a breather that deep breath before a, a big run-in and with the added complication of oh by the way there's a world cup in like two months um <laughs> so yeah it's gonna get pretty weird here um pretty soon um so with uh with that being said um mika i mean we've done in the past the sounds of the season playlist i think this season we're gonna keep it more casual on the music front but um i was just curious in, in the way of closing things out um what are you listening to these days? What what are you what are you bumping um over the uh over the aux? Are we still saying aux? <laughs> the wireless aux Bluetooth. <laughs> the BT. Yes. Um, so I mean like I'm a huge dance Gavin dance fan, as you know, and I have basically not stopped playing Jackpot Juicer since it came out in late July. <laughs> so it is very um, good. It is probably some of their catchiest work to date. Um, typical like slow burn dance, Gavin dance, and that like the first couple listens, it's like this is trash, like nothing is sticking, and then all of a sudden it <laughs> clicks, and you're like, this is so good. Like yeah. that's how I felt about Afterburner, but even more so with this album. So I've been like bumping that nonstop. Um, let's see what else. I've also been kind of like doing some throwbacks lately. Like, nice. I started going into like the discography of Anne Berlin, like City. A classic. That album, like no skips. Yeah. No skips on that this album. Absolute um, slapperoonies from start to finish. One hundred percent. And then, like, honestly, this is not very hardcore football, but like, I'm just keeping it real. The summer album of choice was Harry's House by Harry Styles. A, no, it's. I mean, it is it is a vibe, and me and my me and my wife were talking about about the fact that like that album and Harry Styles like just whole his musically right now like mm. at the risk of of like over overdoing it like his music is timeless in the sense that like you could play that album for someone whose like favorite band is from like the 60s 70s 80s like doesn't really matter yeah. and they and they could find something about it that it's like yeah i can vibe with this like for sure for sure i mean like there's one of the singles sounds like uh like tears for fear song or like yeah. like you know like that kind of era of like synth pop or like pop yeah. rock like there's a lot to take from from this album to be fair yeah. so like I don't care if that sounds corny. Like no. this album is the shit. <laughs> no, it's it, it, hey, it's popular for a reason. Like, yep. He he's he yeah. He he wrote a killer album and it. My my sisters are like insane Harry Styles like stands. Um, <laughs> but so they'll enjoy this. But the reality is, it, it's just it's just a great album. There's really no, there's no shame in that. Um, what have you been listening to though? Well, so recently over the, and by recently, I mean like over the last few days, um, mm. probably one of my, one of my favorite bands of my like adult life is the Devil Wears Prada, like yes. coming up in high school, like they were a scene band that I like loved. I I've listened to them like since their first album came out. It's just like, 
but this is their eighth studio album, which made me feel just so fucking old. Um, <laughs> but it was it was cool because this album they've gone through a bit of a like a progression. Like they've had members change, all this sort of <laughs> stuff, and like the reality of of this of this album is it finally feels like they're a little bit settled. After mm. like kind of hey we're gonna try this we're gonna try this they went like super atmospheric on one of their albums and like experimental that sort of thing and so it, they've kind of settled into a nice equilibrium here and the album's called Color Decay by by the Devil Wears Prada and it is to me like it's just so good because it is equally catchy there's like really good heavy parts but there's also like songs where it slows it down so like the album is just very listenable in that way where it's like it's not all like go 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 it's like it's Mm. very well paced I guess um it's just super it's just super good like for anybody who's into like heavy music or whatever but there's there's more to it than just like oh it's like super heavy or whatever there's a lot of uh there's a lot of a, a lot to a lot to dive into and then i mean i have also been listening to like heavy music cuz that's that's kind of what i do but um <laughs> that the new uh devil rush product is on my queue so you've made me even more excited for it i've heard good things then in terms of like i guess like throw well it was a throwback when Craig Owens band drugs dropped a new album over the summer. Um, and I was not like the hugest, hugest drugs fan when that project like came out Mm -hmm. after Chiados. And maybe it was a little bit of like, you know, I was like, it's not Chiados. So I don't like it. Um, but this new album that they dropped is so good. Like it's, it is one of the best, like alternative rock, whatever you want to call it. Like, post-hardcore whatever like it's just a very good album very catchy like melodies some some decent like heavy parts it's it's definitely not intense in the same way that like other things are um but it's just like it's it's yeah so many of the songs are just very are very good um and then the last one is is but this band called secrets who mm. they were like a bit they burst on the scene in like 2010 11 like somewhere in there they had a couple of like those sort they were whatever they put out a couple of records and then they kind of like tried to change their sound up whatever they went through some member changes same kind of deal well they put out a new album and they kind of just said like, (laughs) rather than being like, Oh, like we've gone through this evolution or whatever. They just said, fuck it. And like wrote basically like an, an old, like they just wrote like a heavy, (laughs) like metal core slash like post hardcore, whatever, like, uh, album, um, with like sung choruses and scream verses and really heavy breakdowns. And it felt nostalgic in a very like specific way for me being like, man, this like feels like this came out in, you know, and them just like having fun with like these big heavy parts with like, you know, with, with the like stereotypical lyrics as well, just like very angsty and all that stuff. Like it was just very, uh, yeah, it took me back. 
Um, <laughs> and so that's been one where it's just been like a fun listen. Uh, it's called the collapse by secrets, but that's been what I've been, uh, spinning. Love it. Love it. Well, awesome, man. well, we, we made it, we made it back. Um, and it's been, it's been lovely talking about the top five leagues. It's always, it's always a blast, uh, getting to venture out a little bit, uh, here. If you guys are, f- are finding the podcast for the first time, uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at HXC football. Um, so you can check, check us out there. Um, you can ask questions, all that sort of stuff. We are planning on being like semi-regular from here on out. I think it'll likely be after the international break by the time we record again, barring any, you know, if there's any like significant club news or something like that, that happens in the interim, we'll certainly record. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, so our next, uh, our, our next recording will likely be after the international break, but, um, but yeah, check us out on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we always, we always love to, Mika, Mika primarily handles the social media and loves to, loves to engage and get in good discussions. Um, yes. so it's always, it's always fun to, to interact on there and, um, and it's cool because it's so like with the show being so broad, we get to interact with like a very broad base of different fans from like different clubs and leagues, uh, which is which is always so cool to kind of diversify <laughs> in that way. Um, and if you have something where you're like, damn, I really wanted them to talk about X, Y or Z, just like hit us up because we will talk about it. Like if you, you know, if you listen to the show and uh, you've got questions or or topics that you want us to cover. Um, we absolutely will. Um, but yeah, check us out there. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. And um, I guess season three, here we go. Here we go. Fabrizio <laughs> said it. And this is a long one, but it's because you all have two weeks to dig into it. So. Exactly. <laughs> and you all exactly. know we love to talk. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure, Phil. I'm glad we're we're back on it. Yeah, love it. Well, all right. Well, until next time, everybody uh, have a good international break and try to stay sane until we until we speak again.